a doctor in the house. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Great way to start the week. It is Dr. Rasha Batar, and he's back as he is every week here doing, what, what do we call this? Advanced Medicine Monday. <laughs> and you, doing Robert. Some, doing advanced medicine while, uh, while we still can and wearing no pink ribbons along the way. None whatsoever. Yeah. Do you have a rule in your house, no pink, uh, during the month of October? Is it, or is it just me? No, we don't have any kind of rule like that, but we do have uh, our, our office does not support that because we know what a false idol that is to pray to or to, to yes. pay homage to. Yes. It's one of those things that I think that more and more people are realizing it. I had a conversation actually today with a person from Canada. They're actually from Quebec, and there's this event that they do every year, and this event essentially is where the individual shaves their head. They've even got children participating with a shave, shave their heads as a show of solidarity mm-hmm. among everybody to support patients that have leukemia. And this gentleman that I was talking to, it was really interesting. He said that he has talked with the person who puts on this event she drives a hundred and twenty thousand dollar car she loves lives in the lap of luxury and she has told him that it's like five percent or seven percent or something like that that actually goes towards any type of research for leukemia and this is actually symptomatic of almost all the supposed non-profit organizations i think that you and i've discussed this before about the uh, i think it's the red cross what is it like eighty percent of what the red cross brings in is used for marketing and used for raising more funds and used for salaries and used for expenses and only like 20 percent actually goes to the to, yeah to the that, actual, that is problematic is that right? yeah there are actually oh, places that rate these so-called nonprofits for whether they actually spend more on administrative costs and fundraising than they do in their actual stated or claimed mission i mean that's why the pink ribbon campaign like Komen and everything else from the Susan G. Komen group called into question because it's just become a huge marketing campaign everywhere and the promotion of awareness. Do we really need more awareness? Because what their, yeah. their definition of awareness is, is more mammograms, ionizing radiation that actually causes the dang, uh, you know, cancers. Exactly. You don't actually want awareness towards that. You want awareness to the, towards the truth. And there is nothing that is promoting the truth. It's all trying to build the fear-mongering and, mm-hmm. like you said, the mammograms, the conventional components. In fact, if you look at the awareness aspect, let's look at awareness. Mammograms versus doing a breast self-exam has been already shown conclusively in multiple studies that have undergone the Cochrane review process and have found that there's absolutely no increase in lifespan. There's no decrease in mortality by doing mammograms. In fact, quite quite the opposite from my reading of this is that they've you know basically linked directly now the increased incidence of breast cancer to these recurrent or regular annual mammograms. Well, that's true, Robert, but in the conventional literature that has not been they haven't admitted that. There was a Chinese study that looked at 32,000 women and this I think came out in 2000 and Eight or something, mm-hmm. 2007, and they found that if a woman does breast self-exams on a regular basis, 
there was no difference and no earlier detection of cancer compared to mammograms. Absolutely none. But you're right. The difference with doing a breast self-exam versus doing a mammogram is one, in mammograms, you're increasing trauma to the breast, you're compressing it, you're irradiating it, and there's an inflammatory cascade that you're initiating, which we all know the cancer is an inflammatory process. Whereas in breast self-exams, there's no pain, there's no compression, there's no trauma, there's no inflammation a cascade that's being initiated. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that why would I want to expose myself to more pain and inflammation and trauma to my breast, which has all been shown to contribute to the onset of cancer. Well, if your unstated goal, the kind of secret conspiratorial goal was to keep the cancer gravy train, treatment gravy train going, you've got a good setup here. And Big Pharma is certainly known for setting up foundations that actually facilitate the ongoing investigation of never finding a cure. You're absolutely right. This is the perfect mechanism and vehicle to promote the agenda that they've got, which is feed the machine, feed the system to create more victims. And it's not that we ignore it, we don't participate, we vehemently go the opposite way because right. there's none of this. If I want to do something to help people understand the truth about cancer, I'm just going to give them a copy for a cancer DVD or something. I'm not going to go contribute <laughs> to the Susan Coleman Foundation or do Pink Ribbon. I mean, it's just nonsense. It's yeah, just if, you, if you're really interested in awareness of uh, disease, Really, what we want to know is why does it occur, and should it occur, what can we do to undo it without killing the patient? I mean, that's all too reasonable. And so I imagine it's got to be strange when people go into doctor's offices, and maybe they're going to yours for the first time, Dr. Bittard, and they say, well, where are all your pink ribbons? Where's all the uh, you know cancer awareness, uh, breast cancer awareness stuff? It's October. What's going on here? You're Believe sad- it or not, Robert, it's a little bit different in my office. Yeah. Because the patients are they're, they're already very well aware. It's amazing how well aware my patients are, how much ahead of the curve that they really are. So they're not coming in expecting the pink ribbons and surprised that they're not there. They're already geared up by the time they come to see you. No, they come in with that ridiculous look on their face like, my God, I cannot believe these idiots are out there trying to support this crap when, you know, they really need to know the truth about it. <laughs> right. Well, and the thing is, when we say that, and I, I, I use sometimes what sounds like some inflammatory language because I get upset with folks. It's really not the folks that are duped we're as upset with as those that are doing the duping because there's certainly a lot of uh, family members and friends of those who have been impacted by breast cancer that they, they appeal to the emotions and say, well, I want to do something for my mom or my aunt or my sister. And it's like, that's fine. We understand the motivation. But I would ask that you, you take a step back and look a little deeper into these, uh, let's say, uh, pharmaceutical realities or fantasies as opposed to what we know is true and where I recommend, once again, the nine steps to keep the doctor away as a, a great base source book to kind of see where we've gone wrong. Well, Robert, as always, I appreciate the plug for the book. But the real essence, as you just stated, is knowing what the truth is and empowering the individual so they know what is the causation factor, not being aware of it. I mean, you'd have to be practically, you would have to be, not practically, but you would have to be dead to not be aware of the impact of cancer on the planet. (laughs) Everybody knows about cancer. So what is there to be more aware of? What people should be aware of is their options. What people should be aware of Mm -hmm. is what is actually causing this cascade. Not to go out there and wear a ribbon or do whatever they do and go for a walk and then think that it's raising more money for research. For God's sake, at what point are we going to realize that all the research, the, the, the NIH and the American Cancer Society, I mean, they are the two of the largest nonprofit organizations that post the largest revenues every year, like something in the 
what is it, 80 million or 800 million in, in profits oh, yeah, for a nonprofit that they post? Closing in on a billion, I think. And of course, the American Cancer Society, uh, I've talked about them, established uh, based on this idea of matching grants. The, the uber wealthy, the Rockefellers of the world said, you know what, we could get the, 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 the dumb folks out there. That, that, that's the way they looked at all of us, the peons that don't know what we know. We can get them to contribute every year to these, you know, fundraising goals for, for research. Uh, by basically saying we're going to match them. Now, did they ever need the people to fund it? No, they had plenty of money. But the reality is they needed some rubes to kind of participate and facilitate the growth of this awareness campaign that was never about the cure. Absolutely. It's never been about the cure. They promote it as if they're funding the research so that they can come up with a cure. Mm -hmm. But what, you're going to fund a new form of poison to try to kill something when it's not even the problem? The entire effort behind the National Cancer Institute and the American Cancer Society is to go out and kill the messenger. Yeah. They're trying to kill the flashing light on the dashboard. They're trying to kill the signal that's telling you something's wrong. And as you know, you can kill all the messengers you want. It's never going to contribute to a solution ever. No, and also with the NIH, of course, this is where you get taxpayer funding for all of these uh, this research, and they'll send out money to other institutions, and they'll do some in-house. Uh, but we found over the years that the NIH is not really willing to investigate genuine natural uh, detoxification methods for, for cancer and things like that. And, of course, that sets the stage to understand that this game is rigged against the people who actually know how to prevent it and know how to reverse it. Absolutely, because that's the reason that they come against those people so vehemently because they're a threat to the machine that's been created to generate these large revenues on an annual basis. I mean, it's a cancer is probably one of the biggest industries on the planet right now. And anybody who comes in the way of stopping the flow of this machine that's creating billions and billions and billions of dollars, they are going to be annihilated. Yeah, well, they definitely do a good job of uh, uh, ridiculing, marginalizing, sometimes removing licenses from those who have stepped out of line here. And, you know, more recently, some some folks will say, you and Dr. Batar are too hard on, on, on liberals, on, on the left, on the Democrats. It's like, no, we're equally hard on the Republicans, particularly on this front, because, you know, they're playing politics with the NIH when they claimed that, well, because of the shutdown, Obama's not going to allow children into cancer trials for experimental drugs and treatments at the NIH. And we're going, see, the Republicans are as stupid as the Democrats on this issue. Well, I think it's important to point out that... And I know you you agree with me on this, Robert, maybe not on the air, but I will say it anyway. It's important for people to realize this in, this entire difference, this margin that's been created, this border on one side, the Republicans, and on the other side, the, the Democrats. Yeah. For those that really want to know the truth, it is nothing more than a distraction. It's an illusion created to make everything fuzzy and to get people involved in rhetoric that is absolutely inconsequential you get two people arguing with each other about something that's totally irrelevant and the person that creates that argument they achieve their agenda which is to cause distraction so that they can do whatever they want to do yeah whatever nefarious agenda listen we're going to talk about those nefarious agendas here on advanced medicine monday of course with dr rajiv batar always great to be with you check it all out if you miss a show medicalrewind.com making it easy for you to plug into this advanced medicine we'll be right back 
Hello, this is Jonathan Wagner. We have an internet website, www.choosetobehealthy.com, that carries many of the products discussed on Robert's show, including the 100% whole food chromium and selenium, silica, as well as sovereign silver and Nordic naturals. ChooseToBeHealthy.com features the Rolls-Royce of probiotics. It's Dr. O'Hara's probiotics. Dr. O'Hara, a world-renowned microbiologist, formulated a unique probiotic that blends ancient Japanese fermentation methods with 21st century technology. No refrigeration is needed. Dr. O'Hara's probiotics contains the strongest lactic acid bacteria known to man based on scientific laboratory research. 6.25 times stronger. Quite simply, it works and works very well. So go to our website, www.choosetobehealthy.com, or call us toll-free, 866-424-1077. That's 866-424-1077. We're here to help. of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Advanced Medicine Monday continues here with Dr. Rashid Bittar. Once again, MedicalRewind.com. Those of you who uh, listen around the world, uh, people do come from all over the planet to see Dr. Bittar over near in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. And we have that linked up, Dr. Bittar, D-R-B-U-T-T-A-R. Dot com. You can check it out as well as all the Know Your Options videos and things. There's some sensational information if you're a new listener to our weekly get-togethers here to kick off the week. Uh, but uh, there's so much more, as I said, in your book, Dr. Batar. Of course, when we go out and do uh, advanced medicine seminars, we'll keep you up to date on that. You have another one coming up in December in Vancouver. We've got a lot of listeners up there. As soon as we get confirmation on that, we want to let them know as well. Absolutely. Actually, we have confirmation. It'll be December the 14th. And uh, there will be actually the main event the whole day will be for anybody, and then there will be a special three-hour session from 7 till 10 for providers, for healthcare providers. Nice. So, you know, we've got to discuss the Obamacare. I know we've, we've hit a little bit about the pink ribbon campaign the, and that, what a sham and scam that is. But what a sham and scam, unfortunately, Obamacare is. Now, the irony here is if we, if we go back and, and validate what you said about the distraction that is the Democrats say this, Republicans say that, you go back in time and you can actually see that the, it was the Republican idea to do it wasn't called Obamacare then, but it was kind of the counteract the Hillary care. They didn't want socialized medicine. So they came up with this sort of fascist corporatist takeover concept. And so now it's being played out as if it was the Democrats that came up with it. So we step back and we go, listen, they're all wrong. What we need is health freedom. What we need is the freedom of doctors to know what they're doing, to actually uh, act on the knowledge that is real and not corrupted by pharmaceutical pseudoscience. And whether they're doctors or non-doctors, to all work together for the common goal. Robert, let me take that a step further. What we need is freedom to do what has created this country and made this country the great country that it is and not start doing things that are taking away from that. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's not just freedom in healthcare; It's freedom in everything, in every aspect of business. I mean, to take away capitalism, to give people and reward apathy and to reward people to sit back. I mean, in, in some cases, even when people want to go out there and do 
something constructive. Right. They are actually penalized. They will make more. And I've, I've met people like that. They've told me, I want to go out there and work, but if I work, I'm actually going to make less money. Right. I make more uh, yeah. money sitting on my rear end. Yeah. They are rewarding apathy. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's interesting. One another irony of the shutdown that is, is, a, is a very positive thing is that the FDA seemingly now can't attack, you know, the small purveyors of natural products and supplements. They're going to cry that people are going to start dying. They're going to start living, in fact, because you're not going to be raiding people that are actually providing good quality health and healing products. Yeah, and I, I've actually said that, you know, this is a great thing. The shutdown of the government, they were using that as a threat. I'm thinking, hey, that's a time to celebrate. I mean, isn't that when the forefathers said, you know, to reduce government, to minimize government? It was to shut down. Isn't that a good thing? Isn't that what we want? Well, exactly. And it, it's similar to a shutdown of a hospital. You know, when we, we've, we've covered these issues, and even in peer-reviewed journals, death rates right. just plummet, and then the hospitals go back to work. We're going to see that with government as well. Exactly. Death rate actually increased exponentially when the doctors came back from work. Mm-hmm. So doctors and government, by all means, go on strike. We'll be a lot healthier for it. <laughs> I like that, Robert. Maybe that should be our slogan. Maybe we should have a, I don't know, they say the pink, this is the pink campaign. Maybe we should make it the green campaign or make, you know, make, I don't know, whatever campaign. Pink, well, God, po- make, the shutdown, make the shutdown permanent. Yeah, <laughs> You know, the thing is, though, I've seen statistics to say that 87% of the government is still running. It's like, well, can't they figure out that we're doing just fine with 87% of the 100 that was happening just a, you know, a few days ago and figure yeah. out, well, it's not so bad. But it's then, actually better. Yeah. So maybe if they t- cut it down a little bit more, mm-hmm. it'll get even better. Ron Paul was do. right. Ron Paul was right. So Ron Paul's always been right. I, I, absolutely. I mean, you know, I wish I wish there was some integrity in the political system right now where – if it really was up to the popular vote, Ron Paul would be the president. We all know that. We know that nobody else could gather the votes like he did, and he was pulling in people from all age groups, from you know both the right and the left. It didn't matter. People that really wanted uh, improved society and wanted a better future for the children, they all supported Ron Paul. And yet when you start having this situation where you, you need a identification to buy cough syrup yeah. and, but you don't need identification to vote yeah i know it's it's bizarre and i've had friends that were neocons and also friends that were hardcore liberals that were obama supporters are scratching their heads and that they've come to me quietly behind the scenes and said you know maybe we should have given ron paul a try so <laughs> you know a little better late than never but now you know ron paul's retired now what else are you going to do is you, you know my friend michael bednarik yesterday on the program we got to take a quick break here he, he said uh um, you, you can't fix the government. Stop trying to fix the government. You, you can't fix stupid. So <laughs> we'll get to that and more, but give you some healing after the break. There's a guy with an eye disease. We need to follow up with him as well. We'll be right back. The Robert Scott Bell of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Now, Dr. Batar, I've upset some of my friends that are uh, considered on the liberal left in the modern day uh, definition when I said, or when I repeated, let's say, the quote that, that Michael Badnarik made yesterday, that you can't fix the government, you can't fix stupid. Because, you know, some of these folks are still under the impression that government is a force benevolent force for good and we're not here to say that it's never done anything good that's not we're not taking that position 
But the founding fathers knew that the, the place to put government was in a very strict constitutional cage to minimize the damage it could do. Because the, the good thing, legitimate thing, would be to defend, uh, for instance, the nation, the borders, and uh, to provide for the enforcement of contracts. So people wouldn't be violating contracts, being able to lie, deceive, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, but, but Robert, hold on for a second. That's, that's all the function of uh, at least the, the latter portion she's talked about. That's a function of state government. The federal government doesn't do that. Very good point, too. That, you know, the, there, was no necess- there wasn't a necessity for a federal government to come in and enforce contracts. You're right. That was done on a state level. So we have all of this uh, movement, and I think, as I said, the awareness now coming back and going, how do we deal with this if we can't fix it? For those that still think they can fix it, go ahead and try and knock yourself out, but you're going to need a lot of drugs just to get you through the, the, the disappointment. Well, what we're talking about here are functional, practical, just like we opened today talking about the, the, the pink ribbon campaign. It's not that we're, you know, we stand against awareness for cancer. We just argue you don't really need more awareness for cancer. What you need is awareness for the natural ways to prevent it and reverse it that are not even, in many cases, or in most cases, approved by the very government that would suppress knowledge of it. Yeah, but I don't even care whether it's natural or not natural. I mean, none of that. Sure, my, sure. my thing's a little bit different. I just want people to understand that cancer is not the problem. It's the symptom. And if you are going after the symptom, no matter what you do, you will never fix it. it, it let's not talk about treatments. Let's not talk about philosophy. Let's not talk about, you know, natural, unnatural. Forget about all of that. Awareness, you know, cure. Just understand what it is first. I mean, we talk about the power to heal. Well, that power to heal comes from the knowledge that you acquire. And as soon as you become aware, well, as soon as you've been empowered by the knowledge, the one component that invariable will occur is that you no longer, by definition, will be a victim because you are now aware of the truth. You understand what's going on. No matter what somebody says, they can say, hey, the sky is green, the sky is purple, the sky is pink with green polka dots. It doesn't matter. You know what the truth is. You know the sky is blue. And you know that at nighttime it's going to look dark, and when the sun's out it's going to be light blue. You know that. You understand how refraction works and the light works, etc., etc. Nobody can pull the wind or the, the wool oh, over your over eyes. Your eyes yes. The point here is that there are. This is a this is an entire agenda designed to subvert the truth yeah exactly you said it so well and that that's that whole aware anytime they're using these big money uh, fundraisers say we're for awareness the reality is they're for the opposite very much like government like the patriot act was completely unpatriotic the affordable care exactly. Act is not it's not affordable there's no care and we're working for evidence-based evidence-based medicine is has nothing to do with based on evidence yeah, exactly so we learned that we do live in a very orwellian world here uh, of 1984 and beyond here in 2013 heading to 2014 so awareness that we when we use the word awareness we actually know the definition are using it appropriately when they do it it's to pull the wool over your eyes exactly hmm. exactly so we don't want to be victimized uh we had a, a a letter come into the show a few weeks back maybe even a month or more that we uh we answered actually on the air and it's funny, uh, I think the guy tried a lot of the things we said, but at the same time, we discussed the fact that you had had benefit. Uh, patients that were coming in for a lot of other things also might have had certain like eye macular degeneration, uh, maybe even glaucotic, glaucoma or cataracts, and that when they were doing the chelation, we've talked about the, the reason for doing it for heavy metals and other things, that they actually had improvement in the eyes. And I'm thinking we might come to that point with this guy who's saying it's, nothing's working. I said, have you done that? No, I haven't done that yet. And this is for macular degeneration, Robert? I believe it might be related to a cataract surgery potential, but I know we also did one on a uh, macular degeneration issue, which might even be more appropriate. 
Yeah, macular degenerate. I mean, again, this is an interesting point from a philosophical standpoint, at least. It's, a, it's interesting to discuss this type of scenario when people say, I've done everything and it's nothing's working. And then the first thing you said, they haven't done. So by, you know, they haven't done everything. Um, they are, there are many things that can be done. And one of the components, as we discussed before with macular degeneration, one of the most important components with macular degeneration, which is a leading cause of blindness right now, I believe it's a leading cause of blindness, not just in the United States, but actually in the industrialized world, is that therapy, is chelation. Mm-hmm. And they really need to do that because it's, it's makes a, it makes a tremendous difference. Cataracts, there's, there's a solution out there for cataracts that I have been made aware of. I have not tried it myself in any of my patients. It has apparently worked based upon a number of other doctors I've discussed this with, and they have reported some very good results. Mm-hmm. But I personally have not experienced it with patients myself. Uh, but, you know, cataracts is a little bit different situation. But certainly for macular degeneration, find a doctor that has EDTA chelation and get treatments, and you will see a difference. Yeah, no, there's no doubt there are heavy metals associated mercury playing, a, playing its role in all kinds of degenerative processes within the body, including in certain body types. It'll tend to be in that area, uh, you know, having an ocular impact. Now, uh, this guy was using bilberry, lutein, uh, different medicated drops, homeopathy. It's like it's not that you're, any of that is wrong. But if there's some stuff situated in there, and I'll just say that in a non-scientific way, stuff that you don't want there, you want to get out, sometimes it takes that aggressive, let's say, intervention to remove it. You know, And there's a lot of extreme environmental exposures that have never before been recorded in history happening to so many today. Yeah, and that's very important, Robert. I'm so glad you brought that up because many of these things that you mentioned, you know, the bilberry, the lutein, um, all these various components – they are designed to enhance the pathways and to support the structure. They are not designed to remove the garbage that is supposed to not exist in that particular area of the system. So, you know, you, you look at everything. Whenever you're talking about disease, whenever you're talking about pathology, whenever you're talking about dysfunction, uh, pain, whatever you're talking about, something that requires a result that would change the outcome, meaning that if you're dealing with something that is creating an issue for you, whether it's discomfort, whether it's, you know, uh, whatever it may be. Pain pain comes to first mind, but of course, pain's not the only thing. There's many other components. Function is a, is a very big thing. Always look at it from two perspectives. You've got one, the nutritional support aspect. So maybe you're lacking something or you need something extra or you need something to enhance the pathway, whatever that may be. It's that I call that or categorize that under the nutritional umbrella. Right. And then the other is detoxification. What shouldn't be there? What mm-hmm. needs to be removed? What is there that shouldn't be there and needs to be removed? That's what you need to think about. Those two areas, what do you need to support the system and enhance it? And what do you need to get out of the way, get out of the system so that the body can continue to function the way it was designed to function? If you approach everything that way, and you always address both components, you will not fail. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, most of the components that are out there in healthcare, most of the things in natural healthcare, they're all designed to help supplement, enhance. You know, it's a vitamin, it's an antioxidant, it's a, it's a uh, homeopathic, it's whatever it is. Now, actually, homeopathic is probably an exception because they are homeopathics that can help to um, detoxify, Robert. Oh, right, absolutely. Robert, are, yeah. yeah. In fact, I, w- I wanted to bring that up because here's a case in point where if you deal with the terrain, you understand the, the environment in which somebody lives, and you, you, you can apply things appropriately. Like, for instance, we had a physician I worked with many years ago. Uh, you know her daughter came to see you, in fact, years later, but she was a physician, a gifted uh, medical doctor in Nigeria, Lagos. 
and she was dealing with a lot of eye diseases, cataracts, glaucoma, and the like. And I worked with her. We sent her homeopathic medicine specific for the eye, but we also did this and said you must, must, must use a homeopathic detoxifier drainer type formula because unless you facilitate that removal of some of the offending elements, it's not enough to just address the symptoms and, and work to heal them. That's, that's fine, but it's not enough. And they weren't dealing with the extreme exposure of thousands and thousands of chemical additives, preservatives, colorings, flavorings, because they had more of a native diet. Yes, they had certain uh, exposures, but it was manageable without having to resort to uh, intravenous chelation. But here in the United States, in the West, in, a, in this advanced country and culture, we have polluted ourselves beyond any other culture in recorded history to the point where we, in many cases, need that aggressive, let's get in there and reach in there deeply and pull this stuff out so that we can facilitate the healing that all of those natural things can do. Exactly, and it's also important to remember that the way people have become so toxic is not natural. Correct. So you cannot use natural means to negate an unnatural component. And, you know, yes, natural things work great when you haven't been injected with <laughs> DNA addicts and proteins from different sources and, and known neurotoxic substances and carcinogenic substances. Yes. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's, oh, exactly. It, it, that's the point, and I wanted to drive it home. And we have visited this subject together over the last few years. Is that the, you know just like the IV chelation? When I say, well, we want natural heal, but you're like, well, that's not technically natural. We use synthetic analogs or synthetic uh, amino acids, but they go in there and take an unnatural situation and remove it, so that we facilitate all the things that we want to encourage people to have to do, and they'll need to do that we wouldn't normally have to resort to. You're absolutely right, Robert, and this is one of the things that I think is very instrumental if one can really understand that concept, that yes, to live naturally is fantastic, and that's what we should do. We should refrain from putting into things into our body that are not natural. That makes sense. But if there are unnatural things that have been introduced into our system, especially if they've been introduced parenterally, then, and, and by the way, parenterally meaning by non-oral, mm -hmm. so if it's intravenous or injectable or something else, somehow it's gotten into our system. Radiation is a good example. If we have been exposed to some of these things, we cannot rely upon natural means of removing it because the natural is not sufficient. Perfect example, cilantro. So many people talk about using cilantro as a natural chelator. Is cilantro a natural chelator? It absolutely is. However, here's the problem. It naturally concentrates mercury in nature. It's naturally doing that. So when you go out and you get cilantro and you start taking it, thinking that you're actually helping yourself, you're actually taking in more mercury because I have not yet seen a commercially available cilantro when tested that showed that it already didn't have a higher concentration of mercury. Unless the cilantro is grown in a petri dish or in a lab that's completely got no mercury in the environment that it can pull from, you will end up having taken something that naturally concentrates that mercury. Now, I love cilantro. I use it every, cilantro every opportunity I can, but I'm not using it for the health benefit. I'll actually chelate myself after using cilantro because I know I've just probably ingested more mercury. So you cannot go in there and use something natural thinking because it's really it's nothing more than a false sense of security when you start doing things like this. Well, all those kids out there are not going to go, See, Mom, I, I told you I didn't like cilantro. Now Dr. Batar says I don't have to eat it. Uh, cilantro's good, though. It tastes I good. know. I love cilantro, too. So You know, it's a love-hate relationship with cilantro. It's like people are Not many people are middle of the road on it. They're like, I either love it or it just tastes awful. I don't know. Anyway, we'll be right back. We're going to wrap up Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Batar after this. 
Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Scott Bell Show. All right, wrapping up another Advanced Medicine Monday here with Dr. Rashid Bittar. Remember, medicalrewind.com for all of the, what do we call them, archives, the easy access archives. And, of course, we've linked them all up and more than we can ever get to within the show notes. There's so many hot links to check out for Dr. Bittar. Check it out and take your time. Read it up. See the videos. Get the things you need, including the nine steps to keep the doctor away. And, of course, Dr. Bittar, you're out and about occasionally. Now that you're going to Canada, I should say you're out in a boot, as they say up there. But you'll be going to Atlanta, November 8th. What's the event? It's for for healthcare providers, right? Yes, it's a healthcare provider conference in Atlanta on November the 8th. And then I have to kind of hit that and then take off right away because on the following day I'm going to be lecturing in Dallas. And that's also a healthcare provider, um, to be politically correct. Okay. Not, not doctor, but right. healthcare, healthcare provider. provider. And the Atlanta one is with Jim Hover. Excellent. So check that out. We'll let you know more about it as it gets up, but we're pretty close to it. Now, uh, there's a story out here on healthfinder.gov, and we often uh, tease them and call them healthfinder.gov because they all often show things that are so obvious. But this one may or may not be. This one says, ICU gloves and gowns might reduce MRSA infection, according to a study. Now, is this really news, or, or am I reading this wrong? I have no idea what the purpose of that study is. If they're trying to say that by wearing the gloves, if somebody has MRSA and you wear gloves and gowns, that you'll prevent it from spreading? I mean, I, it's, again, what are they studying? Well, I, yeah, <laughs> I think, I mean, the, the bottom line to me is this is borderline moment of dub because it's like if you go into an uh, intensive care unit, that's ICU, uh, for those of you listening in Washington, D.C. that don't know that, uh, you have this uh, ability to spread germs. That's where they call hospital-acquired infections, nosocomial. Then we've got methicillin-resistant staph aureus. We've got vancomycin-resistant enterococcus. I mean, there's some nasty stuff. But out in the general population, if you're generally healthy, you don't see that kind of manifestation, but among patients that I would say are immunocompromised, might be a good idea not to cough and sneeze and gag and wheeze on them. Right. So I would like to have you answer for me. What did you mean by it's borderline moment of death? <laughs> okay. I was, I was trying to be nice to the people that are coming out I, with these studies. Be, that's not even being nice. That's almost like you know, now you're now you're becoming like one of those people that is making excuses and saying, hey, just sit on your rear end and don't do anything. I, I mean, well, I, I, I didn't want to trash you. You're the... too politically correct. What the hell? You got a fever? <laughs> you have to have your wife check if you got a fever or something. I, I was being nice to the University of Maryland School of Medicine. What do you want? I, as a weak moment, Dr. Bittar, just a weak moment. Well, I, honestly, Robert, you know, this does bring up a good point, and the good point is that not to say that your point wasn't good. I know you've been trying to be desperately trying to be politically correct, which yes. which must mean that you're either getting old or you're getting tired or you're you're you know getting sleepy or something because that's not you. But um, <laughs> if if we want to bring up a a good point here, Robert, yes. I think it is uh, opportunity to reiterate that it is about the terrain. And if your terrain mm-hmm. is well balanced, if your system is healthy and good, you will be resistant to many of these things. A person that becomes susceptible to the methyl-resistant staph aureus or the vancomycin-resistant or any of these other mm-hmm. nosocomial-type infections, if you are going to become vulnerable to them, it's only because your system has been compromised. 
cancer is a perfect example. You cannot get cancer if you have an intact immune system. If your immune system has been compromised, then and only then can you get cancer. So when somebody comes in and says, I have cancer, Mm -hmm. and then you talk to them about the immune system and they say, oh, my immune system is fine. It's impossible. I've actually had patients tell me that they've gone back to their oncologist and they've talked to their oncologist about the test that they've had done and our lymphocyte subpopulation looking at their immune system, um, apoptosis, cell cycle analysis, etc. And the oncologist has said, well, what's the relevance of your immune system? I mean, this is what an oncologist has said. What is the relevance of your immune system? So here's a wake-up call for every human being. If you live on this planet and if you are of the homo sapien variety, um, variety <laughs> then or, or actually any biological system for that matter on this planet variety, yes. that your immune system, if it is intact, you cannot get cancer. And if you have cancer, by definition, your immune system is damaged. If you think that because you have never been a sick a day in your life, that's a good thing, wake up. That is a bad sign because that means your immune system is not reactionary. Nicely said. It's it's a natural thing for you to get a little raspy throat or, you know, itchy throat or get a cold here and there. That's natural. That means your immune system is working. But if you say, oh, I never get – Robert, do you have any idea, and I'm sure you've seen this yourself – how many people come in that have cancer, and, and the first thing they say is, I don't understand this. I've never and been sick a day you, in my you life. You said it. Listen, we've got to revisit this topic next week because I love talking about this one because it kind of it's biologically correct, but it's politically incorrect for those who say that. But we'll cover that. We're out of time here. Check it out online. Remember, if you miss a show, medicalrewind.com. And in the meantime, remember this. The power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.